1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at the end, on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be with you. Tonight is Friday, Friday night, and um, it's our late-night national Thursday, Thursday night, excuse me, late-night, I don't know what day it is anymore, Uh, national town hall conversation. And if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, wishful thinking, as they say. Um hoping that you'll call 8334 Valdez. I want your opinions on everything we're talking about tonight. And uh, some of the uh, headlines today. Big one here that I've been seeing throughout the day. Marjorie Taylor Greene has been um, ousted from the House Freedom Caucus uh, in part due to her ongoing argument with uh, Lauren Boebert. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I don't I don't. That's kind of, in in Spanish, they say bochinche, right? That's bochinche, right? There's no uh, uh, earth-shattering effect here. This is just differences of opinion, and it is what it is. All right, let me uh, continue. Now, what I wanted to get into was uh, a little bit on this social media front. And, of course, we're going to get into uh, Joe Biden's approval, Joe Biden's um, latest responses to cocaine allegations, um, what else do we have here? The, uh, student loan forgiveness, the, he's got a new scheme, a new way around things. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, uh, the, uh, Biden administration's latest, um, attack on oil drilling and mining. And, and of course, uh, the attack on law enforcement as road rage has increased. So I want to get to all that, but first I want to talk about social media because social media, there's, um, a lot of talk about this new platform, right? This platform, it's called threads. Now I I signed up to reserve my handle, but I can't see myself using one more social media. There's been so many iterations of social media that were micro blogging platforms, kind of like Twitter, where you can, you know, post a, a statement, if you will. And, while I'm I'm decent at my duties on the radio, I'm not the best tweeter in the world. Some people are expert at this, right? They're just, they they think in 180 character phrases that are funny and witty and pithy, and they just go for it, and they're great at it, and their thumbs are lightning quick. And, you know, it takes me, I don't know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes to craft a tweet. You know, meanwhile, I see people that are staring you right in your eyes, shaking their head. Uh-huh, yeah, really, while they're doing it without even looking they're just amazingly fast at it. And that's why they have millions and millions of followers because they're just gifted in that world. I, I'm not that guy. But I, I'll tell you that Elon Musk is um, facing off, if you will, with Mark Zuckerberg. Now, the Zuck, he's having this um, this new platform. And I, I don't know what the reception is going to be. Uh, I do know it's the same type of... Um, platform as Twitter, and I can't imagine people doing Twitter better than Twitter, right? I mean, Instagram is Instagram, and this is like an app of Instagram. If you have Instagram, they that you can subscribe to the the system or service uh, right through there, which makes it kind of seamless and easy and gives you a built-in audience, I guess, if you're the new company, Threads, but from Meta, M-E-T-A, which is uh, Facebook's parent company. But ultimately, my my... Interesting take here is I think Elon Musk, you know, let me backtrack. You know, I went to my favorite Cuban place for breakfast and I bumped into my brother there and we were talking and he was saying, you know, when you're a billionaire, multi-billionaire, is there a big difference? Like, does your lifestyle, does your life change? Is there a massive impact if you're worth 10 million, $10 billion versus being worth $8 billion? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure there's not in that grand scheme of things. He said, of course not. That's why you can afford to buy a business, lose the business, and you can afford to have an ego or what some people will call FU money. And it makes all the sense in the world. And I think that's what Elon Musk did here. He he saw a wrong that he wanted to right. And to correct this wrong, he said, I'm going to buy Twitter. So he buys Twitter and voila, here he is fighting this very uphill battle to – to, to make it work, to make it profitable, because it's been a, you know, a self-admitted commie organization. If you've seen that uh, hidden video from O'Keefe back in the days, where they said, no, we're communists, we're all communists here, and that's what makes it difficult, because we, we don't turn profits. So, you know, pr- Twitter hasn't been profitable. But um, the media has been saying that the Facebook version of Twitter, threads, as it's called, is going to be the death. Of Twitter. And uh, now Elon Musk is um, threatening to sue them, uh, or at least Twitter is threatening to sue Meta over threads. And, and I think it's interesting because, I mean, this is the free market at work. And, you know, I think competition is a good thing. I, I don't think I'm going to use the other platform. I honestly don't. I think Instagram's good at being Instagram and Twitter's good at being Twitter. But interesting to see how, how it works and uh, how it plays into. You know, um, the the recent decision that we saw coming out of uh, federal court where, you, where they said the feds can't collude with you anymore. So I'm wondering what type of success Threads is going to have. I don't know. But yesterday they introduced Threads, this text-based uh, companion to Instagram that resembles Twitter and other text-based social media platforms. And Zuckerberg, who's already been, you know, talking a lot of smack and a lot of hype around potentially taking on Elon Musk has been, um, you know, kind of out there saying this is going to be the thing. And this is uh, a copycat to Twitter. So I I don't know. I'm curious to see what it's going to make. I can't imagine news breaking the Arab spring, all of these things that occurred on Twitter first. I just can't see them happening on meta, on threads, on Facebook or Instagram as much as I like Instagram. It's not a real-time t- type of application, right? It's, uh, it's you go and you mess around. You look at pictures, you click, you scroll, ha, 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 you look at some stories, but it's not, it's not like Twitter where you go and you could see you know, the news before the, the reporter could actually file with his editor. You know, you're seeing a, a thread, you know, a five-part thread from somebody putting news out there. So I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But when it comes to news, We have to keep our finger on the pulse. And the way I'd like to do that is by bringing in people that know what's going on. And tonight is no exception. We're going to talk with a senior advisor to the Trump campaign about the 2024 campaign. We're also going to talk about uh, the New York Times now uh, trashing Trump. Surprise, surprise. There's no surprise there. Um, Contending like they usually do that Trump has an uphill battle. And again, hasn't he always? Right. I mean, (laughs) I think that's always been the case. Uh, we're also going to talk about the, uh, the latest with uh, Biden and his scheme to still pursue student loan forgiveness. So we're going to do that with Lynn Patton. She's scheduled to be with us in a little bit. Uh, then later on, Mark Lauder, former special assistant uh, in the White House, and he's a chief communications director for the America First Policy Institute, a big think tank. Uh, we're going to talk about how the Biden administration is stopping oil drilling and mining. And uh, I think that's interesting because they've been doing that since day one. And it seems like it doesn't end. And then incidents of road rage are on the rise. And uh, we're going to talk about how that impacts law enforcement and um, crime in the community overall. So stick around. It's going to be a great show. Three hours. Don't miss any of it. Uh, Hopefully you could stick around for the whole thing. And give us a call in the third hour for Open Phone America, 8334-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. I'm Rich Valdez.
0: This is America at Night, with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez.
2: Inflation is less than half of what it was a year ago, and we're continuing to work on it. You know, I know we have more to do, bringing down inflation remains one of of my top priorities. Job satisfaction nationally, nationally, is at a 36 year high. The share of working age Americans in the workforce is as high as it's been in 30 years. Remember they used to say, Biden spent all this money to keep people from working. People are off the sidelines. 20 years, 20 years high, higher than every single one of my predecessors. And to pay for low-wage workers, the pay for low-wage workers, has grown at the fastest pace in two decades. And folks, it's no accident. It's Bidenomics in action. Trickle-down economics has failed the country for decades.
1: I think it's Joe Biden's Bidenomics that's failed the country for decades. But that's Joe Biden uh, having a couple of words today in, um, let's see, West Columbia, South Carolina. And I think Joe, as I like to call him, Joe El Baboso Biden, he's a real baboso. He's a real um, blundering, babbling, silly kind of guy because everybody and their mother knows right now that everything costs more. I'm trying to buy a used car for my daughter and it's literally has like a 35% markup on it that it would have had three, four years ago. Um, I can only blame that on Bidenomics. It's not helping anybody. I'm pretty sure not even the car guys, but I want to talk about the economy a little bit. There's an associated press um, poll that says Biden's handling of the economy has an approval rating even lower than his own uh, uh, approval rating. He's at 34% on his, Handling of the economy. So, I want to talk with Lynn Patton. She's a senior advisor to the 45th president of the United States at the Donald J. Trump for President 2024 campaign. Now, she worked for President Trump and his family since 2009, earning her role as an accomplished corporate executive, a trusted aide, longtime confidant, family insider, and a real life apprentice, if you will. Patton was uh, appointed to the administration, serving as a regional administrator with uh, Secretary Ben Carson at the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development. And uh, she has a long history. She's on a million different lists of the top this and the top that. It's It's amazing to see how many accolades she's got. I'm glad she's with us tonight. Lynn Patton, welcome to the program.
3: Hey, Rich. Great to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: My pleasure. I appreciate you staying up late. I know not everybody likes to stay up late and talk on the radio, (laughs) but um, that's what we do. So uh, I love it. Let's dig into this economy just a little bit. I want you to touch on that because I think, you know, Biden, I I feel like sometimes I live in this conservative bubble, right? I talk on the radio. I I see people like you and others in events that I go to, and, and I feel maybe I'm disconnected from reality in that I'm trying to live life as like everybody else, and it's more expensive for me. Yet Biden's out there parading all around the country, running for president again, touting Bidenomics as if it's a really good thing. And I wonder, (laughs) is anybody believing this? Because it doesn't seem to be um, it's, it's falling on deaf ears with me. Lynn Patton.
3: We're actually on a staff call the other day, and I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to say this. But, you know, we were laughing because the idea that they would label it Bidenomics and actually promote it as Bidenomics is is crazy because, you know, sorry, that's my cat kind of howling in the background there. She doesn't like Bidenomics either. No, she doesn't either. But, you know, it's probably the worst marketing campaign since Mission Accomplished. Um, and it's just <laughs> crazy that people actually think this is a good thing. And, and you're not living in a bizarro world or the twilight zone because things are more expensive. And it reminds me of something that Kellyanne Conway said the last time I saw her a couple months ago. Um, and she told me, she's like, Lynn, you know, the Democrat motto has literally become don't believe what you see, believe what I say. Um, and they <laughs> well actually put. think the American voter is dumb enough to just not, you know, feel the, the, the deficit in their pocketbook or, or see the lack of supplies on the shelves or not feel the pain of the gas pump and just say, yes, Biden economics is working. It's so great. It's so great. It's so wonderful. You know, forget secure borders, forget energy independence, forget, you know, uh, top being tough on crime, you know, the school choice. Those are all the things that, you know, Biden is convincing you to hate. Um, but we all know what's happening out there. And it's funny you mentioned about the car thing, because, my lease is running up and I went to my dealership to see if I can actually get a cheaper car because I never drive it. You know, I'm always right. uh, either traveling or busy or something. And so why would I spend all this money on a car I don't use? So I said, let me get this car that's like 40 grand cheaper than the car I drive now. And believe it or not, Audi told me it'd be a hundred dollars more a month to drive mm-hmm. that cheaper car. Because of the Biden inflation right now and the fact that so I said, well, then I might as well stay in, in this car that, you know, right. is, is, is more expensive but useless to me than get a worse car for more money. It, it right. just didn't make any sense. And I, I just walked out of there completely dejected, like, you know, I'm going to be stuck with this car now um, right. that I don't want uh, because of the fact that it, it just it makes no logical sense to get a a cheaper car for more money. So I just, you know, here we are. And it's, it's, and that's happening with homes. It's happening with cars. It's happening with uh, almost every major purchase that a family makes. And I think media research center actually just posted the other day that the average family under Joe Biden, since he took office has lost $30,000.
4: In, um,
3: and sort of uh, just day-to-day expenses. Well, uh, I, it it I is believe crazy. It. And, and more than that, it's sad because it didn't have to be this way.
1: Now, excuse me, Lynn Patton, uh, the, the economy obviously is something where I think they're asking everybody. When we look at this Associated Press poll, it, it's 34% approval rating. They're asking everybody. It's not, they're asking you and me. They're asking everybody. Yeah. Everybody seems to have a similar approach uh to answering you know at least you know 60 some odd percent of them are saying uh yeah no this sucks and yet this is (laughs) like you said bidenomics is the the new brand it's like a play on Reaganomics I'm wondering do you believe that they'll actually be able to fool people because that's what it seems like it's kind of like you know I I I go around telling girls listen I'm really six foot five trust me when I tell you I'm six foot five you know I'm not I'm five foot seven but if I say it enough maybe they'll believe me do you think that's the approach they're taking
3: I mean, it certainly seems like it, you know, like I said, I think Kellyanne was on to something when she said that they genuinely believe that if they say it enough, it'll be true. And it's funny because, you know, I'm new to politics. Uh, I was literally working at a real estate company. My my boss ran for president and won. Um, (laughs) And next thing I knew, I was just, you know, compelled to uh, go to D.C. with him and help this country. Uh, become a greater place, which was his only goal and continues to be his only goal. But, you know, I remember a friend of mine at the time saying to me, who had been in politics for many years, that what the Democrats have truly mastered is just saying what they want everybody to believe, whether it's true or not, Um, they will scream it from the rooftops in speeches, um, in, uh, you know, talking points. Their surrogates will go out and they will repeat it, and then eventually the media repeats it. And then once that happens, uh, the lie kind of becomes the truth. And and there you have it. So why wouldn't you, if you're a Democrat, go out and say that Biden economics is is working well? Right, Um, Go out and and lie because it seems to be working.
1: Yeah. Lynn Patton, senior advisor to President Trump's campaign. Uh, She's coming back with us for another segment or two. We're going to discuss a few things. And believe it or not, bookies are actually handicapping who the cocaine belongs to. More to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez.
5: Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about...
6: Thank you Rich and thank you for everything. I know you very well and I have I listen but I have a lot of people that listen and they love your show and I appreciate it very much.
0: America at night with Rich Valdez.
7: If the cocaine episode has prompted the White House to ask the Secret Service to review its security protocol, I mean, there is coming. In. So let's go. Let them do their investigation. Again, this is under their purview. Let's see exactly what occurred and what happened. They're get, going to get to the bottom of this. They, meaning the Secret Service, not going to get ahead of of any changes in protocol or anything like that. Let's let the Secret Service do their job, which we believe and have all the confidence that they will get to the bottom of this.
1: OK, that is Corrine Jean-Pierre having all the confidence in the world in the Secret Service. Uh, and it seems like she has no confidence at all in her boss, <laughs> has nothing to say for what's going on in the White House. Lynn Patton, I can't help but think that if I had that job, I would say something like, look, we take this really seriously. This is a very serious matter. And as soon as we find out, you'll find out, you know, something where like, hey, look, we're on the same team here, uh, taking it um, with with a grain of salt like she does and just, ah, oh, this isn't a big deal. Look, it's just another bag of low. Come on, come on. You know, this downplaying these incidents, uh, in my opinion, are a really bad look, I think, for the general American public. Uh Lynn Patton, senior advisor to President Trump, what say you?
3: Well, the first thing I have to say is thank goodness the, quote unquote, adults are back in charge. You know, that was their big thing when, uh, you know, uh Biden was sworn in. And yeah, right. uh, they, they entered the White House. The adults are back in charge. Well, you know, God forbid we have the Trump administration where the only Coke in the West Wing was diet,
1: you know, <laughs> um, right. and they made just, fun of them for that, too.
3: And they made fun of them for that, too. You can't win. But, um, you know, as somebody who's gone through the security gauntlet um, at the White House hundreds of times, um, there is just no way you could sneak any sort of illicit drug, at least not through that process. Now, the only process that comes to mind, and again, I'm not making accusations here, but really the only way you could get something like that into the White House is if you rode in on a motorcade or, or some sort of, to something to that effect. Um, and usually, the only people doing that are, are senior senior staffers. And, and family members. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. Because, you know, when you go through security, everybody knows there's a gate um, on the front end of uh, three different entrances. Then there's a second gate. Um, the first gate basically asks you for your ID. The second gate basically checks your bags, kind of like a TSA sort of airport checkpoint. Um, you empty your pockets, you take off your shoes, you do all the same thing. Um, and then, uh, you know, particularly when they're events, you have to go past uh, a bomb sniffing and drug sniffing dogs. So, and you actually stand in front of the dog cage one by one, and a fan blows from behind you into their cage um, so that they get a big whiff of you. Um, and you know, if that dog so much as makes a funny face. Um, you're screwed. So, you know, I just don't know. And then you go through a mag machine again, and all these uh, different steps. So, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, though, that now I think the part that scares me the most is now they're actually saying that they don't know and don't think they'll ever be able to uh, answer the question of who it belongs to or how it got in there. And so basically, what they're saying now is that, Anyone can bring anything at any time into the West Wing and they can't, uh, you know, guarantee that they'll ever know where it comes from (laughs) or who did it. Um, I mean, can you wrap your head around that for a minute? Because it's just it's mind boggling, mind boggling. I mean, in the era of uh, security cameras, guest logs, fingerprint touch DNA. I mean, you're telling me that you can't figure out who this baggie belongs to? In the White House, of all places. In the White House. And the other thing that really kind of confounded me was the very first reports were that it was powder substance found in the library. Now, it's then it changed to um, cocaine hydroxychloride, which is like a surgical liquid cocaine. And then somehow it's manifested back to powdered cocaine but in the locker area which is a completely separate area from the library and it's 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 just it boggles the mind how many different scenarios there's already been um because none of those are close to each other um you know not powder and liquid and certainly not the library and the um lockers so i just don't know while we're Why are we getting so many different trickle down sort of, uh, you know, it's like a game of telephone here. Right. You know, what's
1: interesting (laughs) here is I I heard Kaylee McEnany, uh, at least I read an article Uh saying that she doubled down, saying there's no way this could be uh, the Biden families. Uh, And she gave her rationale for it based on her experience working in the White House and Mm. and and. Uh, and then I hear uh, my buddy Dan Bongino saying, you know, he worked on Obama's detail and on Bush's detail and that there's he said what you said. Basically, the only way you're getting in there like that is if you're able yeah. to circumvent some of these um, checkpoints because you're in with with the team. Either you work there or your family. or yeah. You're with the president.
3: And, and not only that, but uh, if the family were to walk into the White House, they would have to go through some of these checkpoints. So to me, the only way you could get in something, uh, nefarious as if you rode in, in the motorcade, um, which is a completely you know, because now, you know, you you've been screened, but you're not necessarily patted down or, or such, particularly when you've been pre-screened and are uh, a family member with your own secret service detail at all times. And now you've met your, let's say father, um, and the, you know, the, president of the United States at a separate location outside of the white house. But now you're riding back into the white house with him together. Um, that you will not go through any sort of screening. No.
1: Now here's the big question. And maybe it's me being a skeptic. You know, I I worked for, Uh um, for a state government and, um, you know, nothing like the the Washington swamp, but close enough. And I can tell you that when things like this got out and again, nobody ever found cocaine in the governor's mansion, (laughs) But uh, the 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 question that stares me in the face is who told the media? Right. I'm pretty sure cocaine has been in the White House before at some point. But the fact that we all know (laughs) about it, that is the story to me. I want to know who told the media and why and who who stands to benefit. Right, because who stands to benefit is not Trump. Everybody's like, oh Trump, blame Trump for everything. That's fine. Blame, blame oh, yeah. Patton if you want. But the bottom line is you're not in the White House, he's not in the White House. Nobody here has access to the White House. And really, Biden's adversaries right now are not Republicans. Mm-hmm. They're Democrats, J F K Jr. Oh, of course and the others that are coming at it. Now, I'm not saying J F K Jr. put a bag of blow in the White House. I'm not right. saying that. <laughs> but but I am saying who who told the media and
3: how did it get there?
1: Because Yeah, uh, I mean I
3: can't explain You bring that. up a great, valid point, Rich, that I had not even thought of, because, you know, at the end of the day, um, and I said this to a friend of mine the other day, um, you, you hit the nail on the head that the only people who really uh, are trying to get rid of Joe Biden are Democrats who voted for Joe Biden. So, you know, right. At the end of the day, they do not want him to be their nominee. I think only uh, like. of Democrats want him to be their nominee. Almost over 70% of Americans do not. And um, 70% of his party do not. And it's uh, one of those things where you have to wonder, is this the beginning of sort of the slow death by a thousand cuts um, to kind of get rid of him um, and make it seem like he has too much baggage, like they're trying to do with my boss, Um, you know, Oh, it's, it's just too complicated. Let's leapfrog this one. Have him politely step down to maybe quote unquote, address family issues and, you know, uh, pray for us and and you know, we need some <laughs> right. uh, we need I'm, I'm I'm stepping down to focus on my family and my son, you know, the sympathy card um so that then, you know Kamala Harris can become the front runner. Of course, they don't want that because she's got even lower. Um, approval ratings than Biden. She's a
1: huge loser.
3: So my guess is that they would offer her the next SCOTUS position, leapfrog her, (laughs) and then, you know, a Gavin Newsom type. Um, And so, yeah, you know, because I've noticed, if, if you remember the first, the 2020 campaign, there was nary one negative article about Biden. But now, if you notice, the mainstream media, even the liberal media, media, uh, oh, yeah. It to say, they, is they've more, all checked out on him. Yeah, they're more um, willing to kind of they don't cover it as intensely as they should and certainly not as much as they cover Trump. But they're starting to be willing to cover some bad stories about him. And I think they're really just laying the groundwork. We're talking about cocaine in the
1: White House, Lynn Patton. Uh,
3: thank this you. Is big. <laughs> big I mean, deal. who would have thought? Thank goodness the adults are in charge.
1: Right. right, The adults are back. (laughs) Folks, we're on with Lynn Patton, uh, senior advisor to Trump's 2024 campaign. We're coming right back with her. And the New York Times says that for some key voters, Trump has become toxic. That's a headline from yesterday. Um, I think when the New York Times is saying Trump is toxic, we've got to look at what they're not saying. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started.
0: This is America at Night.
1: All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Lynn Patton, senior advisor to uh, the 45th president, Donaldus Magnus El Trumpito, as I like to call him. Uh, Donald J. Trump at DonaldJTrump.com is her website if you want to learn more about her and the campaign. And Lynn Patton, I want to, A, get your response to The New York Times saying that Trump is too toxic. Uh, This seems to be a trope that comes around every now and again. Uh, but also want to get and, – and we have like four and a half minutes, so I want to get it as quickly as possible. But I also want to get your, your story, the Reader's Vi- Digest version of your story, because I think it's a really good story. And you alluded to it a little earlier, saying, you know, you worked for a real estate company. You were a corporate executive, and y- your boss, uh, a real estate mogul, runs for president and wins, uh, to many people's surprise. And now here you have a bunch of New York uh, business people that are, you know, bringing common sense to the White House and messing it all up, right? Because they don't like common sense in Washington. So um, let's tackle those uh, in whatever order you'd like.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I was, um, you know, sort of attacked just like the president was in the of course, not to the grave uh, extent that he was. But uh, again, I had no experience in housing. Um, I chose to go work for Secretary Ben Carson instead of staying in the West Wing because I thought, you know, from a, a minority standpoint, uh, because for your listeners, I am black female. Um, I've been with President Trump for almost 16 years. Um, you know, and there's no amount of money in the world that would make me work for somebody who I felt was uh, harboring uh, racist or bigotry, bigoted ideologies. Um, and so, you know, Trump, since the beginning, I started off as a personal assistant, gave me the opportunities to rise up uh, to vice president of uh, their uh, philanthropies, Um, and then eventually uh, gave me a a great opportunity in his administration. So, yes, you know, it's been uh, very critical uh, that, um, you know, uh, I I was honored to to come on board. And so uh, the New York Times actually did a front page story on me and how I had zero experience overseeing the largest public housing authority, New York City, in the world, um, in the Western Hemisphere, and then also um, one of the largest, homelessness uh, sort of uh, now, situation. I want to crazy. ask you a question.
1: Didn't you move into and one of those apartments?
3: I did. I moved into New York City public housing because I thought to myself, more people live in New York City public housing than the entire city of Miami. When somebody told me that's wow. that, hut, I I almost fell out of my chair. I said, I went to University of Miami. That's a huge city. You mean to tell me more people live in New York City public housing? The answer is yes. And La- like three years ago, and you might remember, Rich, um, if you live in this area, yeah. New York City public housing lost eighty percent of heat and hot water. Oh yeah! And I thought to myself, if the city of Miami lost eighty percent of air conditioning, with all those elderly people living in people that, city, would be city, dead. It would not only would people be dead; it would be a global story. Um, there would be outrage across the world, and and they'd blame the Trump. Had, that's all right. Exactly. So here this was, and, uh, arguably, you know, the, the greatest or one time greatest city in the world, um, New York, uh, and the greatest country in the world. And 80% of residents had no heat or hot water. And I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I have, I can't live in my apartment, safe and sound, comfortable, knowing that people, uh, who, you know, live right across the street are, are suffering. And so I did move in for over a month, um, showering in brown water. President Trump sees me on Fox and Friends one day, calls me and uh, Secretary Carson and says, what the heck is going on over there? How much money do we give them? And I said, sir, we give them $40 million a week, a week. Oh, snap. And he goes, do you know, I mean, and this is the developer in him, do you know what those would look like if I had $40 million a week? And I remember talking to Mayor de Blasio and he said, the repairs to each apartment would cost almost five hundred thousand per apartment. I was like, Look, "Who are they hiring?" My for boyfriend, this? my boyfriend's a contractor. I'm like, "There's no way in heck that that is going to cost five hundred grand per apartment." I mean, give me some drywall and a spackle. I mean, you can make repairs to those apartments like you know, inside of uh, maybe ten to fifteen thousand dollars a piece. And so, you know, what ends up happening is you realize there's just so much corruption, of course, and blah, blah, blah. So here we are, the laymen who have no experience, quote, unquote, fixing New York City public housing for the first time. Not only did Donald Trump give them more funding than they've ever had since 1997, but he ended up assigning independent federal monitor to come in and oversee Uh, real sort of benchmarks that the city has to meet. They have to replace all the boilers. They have to um, eradicate all the lead paint. They have to um, get rid of uh, the pest control. All of these things now have deadlines. And if they don't meet them, uh, they're going to face huge sanctions. um, And that has never been done before. And that monitor is still there. Yeah. So
1: Lynn I'm Patton, really proud hang on of right that. there. Great story. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt you, but I got to take a quick pause. We're going to come right back and wrap this up. Folks, I'm with Lynn Patton, senior advisor to President Donald Trump's campaign for 2024. I'm Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez.
1: Welcome back. With a minute and a half to go, we're going to wrap up with Lynn Patton, senior advisor to President Trump. DonaldJTrump.com is her website if you want to check it out. Lynn Patton, you were telling us about how you took on NYCHA, the New York City Housing Authority, during your Trump years.
3: Yes, exactly. And so um, by moving in and and trying to bring attention to the uh, issue, uh, certainly something uh that none of my predecessors had done um overseeing HUD. And it was it was it was good because again, when they underestimate you and think that uh you have nothing to bring to the table like they did for Donald Trump, um, you end up uh delivering uh more so uh than they think. And I think that the American people uh, are now missing what they had with the Trump presidency and the Trump administration. I know that uh, I get called from residents of NYCHA all the time saying, you know, we wish you guys were back. Um, I know uh, uh, you probably hear it all the time. People sure. wish Donald Trump was back. Um, and, you know, you talked even about bags haters. earlier. There's yeah, haters that, that want Trump haters. back. They like the bags. Haters. And, the money was and, better. And you, yeah, and you mentioned uh, that people are... are, are that are calling him toxic or uh, Trump fatigue is something I hear a lot too. Um, I know that that's uh, DeSantis' sort of, uh, you know, uh, campaign argument is that, you know, he's not toxic, he has no baggage. But one of the things that really kind of I I try to tell people, and somebody told it to me, is that you're really not sick of Trump. You're sick of the attacks on Trump. Uh, right. And those are not his fault. Um, you know, they're uh, not Americans even true. Are, that's right. Americans are not sick of Trump or his proven leadership.
1: They're sick Blaine of And The music means they're kicking both yeah. of us out of here. I, I want to thank you I for being it. here. The time goes too quick. But we got to have you back. Up.
3: Exactly. You're a great Let's American.
1: Thanks for coming on.
3: Thanks so much, Rich.
1: You bet. Folks, we're coming right back. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Hour number two is locked and loaded. Don't go anywhere. Rich Valdez, America at night, 877, no, 8334
0: Valdez. <laughs> Live from the city that never sleeps.
1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at the end on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be with you this Thursday night, not quite Friday just yet, and I'm um, hoping that you'll join us on our late-night National Town Hall conversation. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, and it's now being said that they may never find out who the mysterious owner of the bag of blow in the White House was. We don't know what's going on with this mysterious cocaine in the White House, but as we uh, get more information on it, we'll bring you up to speed on it. That's the latest there. Of course, KJP and everybody else in the White House saying, we don't know what's going on. Uh, some are speculating that it had to be a family member or somebody that, uh, a senior staff member that came in that way, uh, that they come in uh, with a, a less of uh Checkpoint Um, that remains to be seen. And uh, again, in New Jersey, interesting story coming out of Jersey. And this is one of those trend setting cases uh, for the rest of the country where you have the state being weaponized, right? The attorney general's office, just like you see in Washington, Governor Phil Murphy uh, using the attorney general's office to go after school boards that have been critical of him. Three uh, particular school boards where the parents who make up these school boards uh, decided that they did not want to be kept in the dark if their children were transitioning. They wanted to know and be notified by the school. So they enacted rules to that effect through the school board. And now the state is suing them, saying, no, this is discrimination. You're outing these poor kids. And that's wrong. The parents are saying, excuse me, those are our children, and these are called parental rights. I think they're going to win in court, but hey, what do I know? So that's a story that we'll actually expand on that on the podcast this week. Uh, this is America with Rich Valdez. Make sure you check that out and subscribe to it. And a big welcome to everybody that's listening on richvaldezamericaatnight.com. If you're not listening to one of the hundreds of stations we're on tonight, I'm glad that you could stream the program as well. Now, there's another article I want to get to here, and this is a topic we're going to really drill down into. Uh, the Biden administration has a new environmental rule that's curbing oil drilling and mining, and it's facing some opposition. To get to the bottom of that, we're going to connect with America First Policy Institute's chief communications director, also a former special assistant to President Trump, Mark Lauder. Welcome to the program, sir.
6: Well, oh, thanks for having me.
1: You bet. So let's talk about this. Uh, The Biden administration, uh, since day one, they've come in and guns blazing, going after pipelines, drilling, ANWR. I mean, you name it. They've done everything they can to uh, slow down energy production, to slow down the leasing of any federal uh, property where people could do any drilling. Um, This has been their their MO from the beginning, uh, yet it seems that they're doubling down at this point. What say you?
6: Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And the American people are paying for it. I mean, even if you look at the national average price of gas right now, it's about a dollar 40 more per gallon than when Joe Biden took office. And it's because of their war against American energy. This latest rule is really not that different than what they're what they tried to do with their harebrained student loan bailout scheme they're taking a law that was passed by congress and then through executive action or regu- or regulations they're trying to fundamentally change the nature of it. So in this case the department of the interior is in charge of managing federal land and we and obviously the federal government has a lot of land and they they are under law re- required to make it available for lease for drilling, mining, grazing rights and then also just in general public recreational use like hunting and fishing so what they're trying to do with this change is to add conservation to this list of approved uses for federal land which basically means they're going to lease all this land to their tree hugging hippie friends for 99 years who aren't going to do anything with it forbid anyone from doing anything with it keeping the public off of it not just for drilling and mining but also hunting and fishing, for 99 years. And when you look at it from, a, from the drilling and mining standpoint, well, that means we're not exploring for new oil, new gas, for critical minerals that we need to be able to keep our country moving, lowering prices, and it just once again adding to the inflationary burden that's being put on American families because of, of the Biden administration. But
1: well, Joe Biden famously said we, he was going to stop uh, energy production drilling in particular um, before he said he was not going to do that. And uh, this is a, a stroke of genius, right? I'm, I'm going to lease this to people who are going to do absolutely nothing with this space. And I'm wondering if if there's a solution to this. Uh, is this something where somebody who actually could benefit from this, like, you know, a, a, somebody who could actually explore and, and do some drilling, could they sue? Um, or is this really just free reign for the administration?
6: Well, so there's two, there's two tax right now that are going on. Number one, this is through a formal rulemaking process. So the, the general public had about 90 days or so to be able to put public comment into this public rule. And there were thousands of comments. You had the mining groups. You had the drilling and oil exploration groups. You even had cattle ranchers out west who filed formal public comments to say how this was going to negatively impact them, their business, and and their ability to use these public lands as they were designated to be used by Congress. Then you also have a number of Republican state attorneys general uh, in Montana and other states who are actually filing a lawsuit trying to get ahead of this. Because the worst part is if the Biden administration can actually start doing these leases, even if a new America first administration comes in, and I think it will on January 20th, 2025, it's going to cost a lot of money, take a lot of time to try to get a court to go back in time and say these leases that they gave are now null and void since they've already been done. So we've got to stop them before they start doing it.
8: Hmm.
1: I tell you, they, they figure out new ways to skin a cat every day. They're very good at it, the Democrats. I have to tip my hat to them. They, they, they're good at doing bad things. Folks, we're on with Mark Lotter. Uh, he was uh, assistant to President Trump and the White House. He's now the chief communications director at America First Policy Institute. He's with us for another segment. We're going to continue our conversation. Of course, your calls are welcome. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
8: By the way, your
5: ratings are up. Congratulations. everybody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. But you're, you're doing great.
0: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with you straight till 1 a.m. Eastern Time. Our telephone number is 833 4825 337 4 Valdez. And of course, that's Valdez with an S on all the social media if you want to chime in that way. Our guest is Mark Lauder, uh, former special assistant to uh, President Trump and the uh, chief communications officer at the America First Policy Institute. Mark Lauder, in addition to uh, the news that you're tracking here, with um, Biden's disregard for energy production in the United States. Uh, tell us a little bit um, more about the work you guys are doing at America first.
6: Well, you know, it really runs the entire gambit. Uh, the America first policy Institute was formed after uh, the 2020 election and all of the people who were in the administration in the white house, in the agencies, the leaders of those uh, agencies, really didn't just wanna separate and go to the winds and go to the existing places or to universities or the corporate sector. They wanted to keep the band together, so to speak. So we have eight cabinet level officials from the Trump administration, 20 White House senior staff, 50 senior administration officials covering 21 different policy centers. So there's really not an issue that's facing the American people right now or our country where we don't have the folks from the administration not just ivory towers, the people who are actually in the building, in the White House, in the agencies, who are dealing with these issues right alongside President Trump. And we're building the playbook for the next America First administration, whether that's Donald Trump or someone else. Uh, We'll let the voters decide that. But they'll have the playbook. They'll have the policies. They'll also have the lessons learned. I was there with the president on day one, when he walked in the Oval Office as president on January 20th, 2017. And it took us a little bit to figure out even how to turn the lights on. And so, you know, learning those lessons, uh, we shouldn't, we don't have time to waste. We can't wait another year to trying to figure out how to make government work. And so, all of that expertise, all of that knowledge is being put together uh, so the next president, the next administration can hit the ground running, reverse the damage that's been done by this administration, and then get back to building on the successes that we had.
1: Now, Mark Lauder, when you walked into the Oval Office or the White House with uh, President Trump back then, you figured out how to turn on the lights. Did you guys find any cocaine there?
6: <laughs> no, not even a little bit. You know, it, it's, it's really I mean, it's a joke, but it, it, it's oh, it's sad. I mean, I worked in the White House for for nearly a year. Uh, you know, I went into that entrance over on West Executive Avenue. Uh, where they say they found the substance. I know where those, those cabinets are where people would store their bags or their phones. Uh, that's not something that the senior staff would use. That's not something that, uh, that most people would use. It would be visitors and things. But here's the thing. I mean, there are more cameras. There, are, there is more security. There's more technology there that I can't even talk about. Uh, you know, Protecting that building, it's probably the safest office space in the entire world, and there's only a small fraction of the people who work in the administration or who work in the executive office of the President, you know, which is thousands of people, maybe hundreds of people have the access to just walk into the Oval Office or to walk into the West Wing itself, the building, and even fewer than that work there. And so it's just unconscionable to me that even if you had a tour, This is not the mansion tour or the White House residence uh, tour where you go see the the White House proper. The West Wing tour, you have to know someone that works in a a very high level in the administration or they can. It's a family member. It's it's someone that you you can't call your member of Congress and say, can you get me a West Wing tour? Mansion tour. Sure. Not the West Wing. And everybody who goes in there. You fill out your name, you give them your social security number, your date of birth, the city you were born in, there's a vetting process done on you and you actually have to be escorted by one of those handful of people who are high mid-level, senior staff level people can even give that tour and let you into the West Wing. So the Secret Service can find out pretty quickly who was in the building over the weekend who checked in, who was on the tour, they can look at the video and at least narrow it down to figure out who this person probably is if they actually want to know.
1: Right. And do, do you find it surprising that they haven't done that, that they haven't gotten to, to that point where they say, oh, we've figured out, we have a person of interest, we, we know what's going on?
6: Well, it does. I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they know. The question is, they may not want to divulge who that person is. And it's not the mm. Secret Service; it would be the administration. The men and women of the United States Secret Service are amazing. They are dedicated, and they are dedicated to doing their jobs. Uh, but if it is a mid or high level ranking uh, White House official, is it someone who was a big donor? Is it someone who was, you know? closely connected and volunteered for the president's reelection campaign. Those are the kinds of folks, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, the staff member's brother who happened to bring it in, which I find to be very hard to believe anyway, because if you're going into the white house, you would think for your first time and maybe the only time in your life, you'd be like, today's not the day to bring a weapon. Today's not the day to carry my drugs on me, leave it in the hotel. <laughs> I'll come back and get it when I get done. You know, or even if you did bring it, uh, you know, you think you'd go back and have gotten it so you just didn't leave it there.
1: Right. Well, maybe that's why it's there, right? You say, like, oh, snap, I got through. I can't believe it. I don't want to get caught on the way out. Let me leave it here. Who knows? Right. I, I, I just can't imagine. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so curious to find out the story. And, you know, something I mentioned earlier was, I'm just, I'm also curious to know how, how the media got in- involved as quickly as they did. Um, you would think that, I, I would think, I would suspect that, if I had a job like yours where managing comms is my thing, I would immediately. It's anthrax, people. It's anthrax. I'd rather think it's anthrax than cocaine, right? That's such a bad look for the administration. I would try to keep it as quiet as possible. Um, and I would let the people know we take these things seriously. And we're not hearing either of those coming from this administration. I just find it so odd. Well,
6: the media got tipped off because they called the Washington Fire Department to the building. And so, so we, that found, went out. we
1: found a white bag, called the fire department. Is that protocol?
6: They, well, they were also evacuating the building because they were going into a lockdown protocol, uh, and so that's why in uh, the uh, police, the fire were notified to actually help with that that process that put it out into the public sphere. Uh, and you know, the one thing you can say, look, regardless, and, and trust me, I know, I you know, the leaks happen; they're always going to happen, but there are enough dedicated men and women there who are true to their profession. That if they had tested this substance, found out it was cocaine and put out a public statement that it was anthrax or something else or unknown, it would have leaked in Washington, D.C. because knowledge, information is power. And someone, even if they loved President Biden and hated President Trump, they would have made sure because of their duty to the office, to their to their profession, that that the truth would have gotten out. It always does in D.C
1: yeah well sadly with the russian collusion story it took a little longer for that truth to come out but you're right i guess it does eventually come out anyway uh mark Lauder, let's um let everybody know how they can uh keep up to speed with the work that you're doing at
6: afpi and otherwise no absolutely it's uh you can go to americafirstpolicy.com on online you can follow us at a1policy at uh on twitter uh, you could follow me, Mark with a C underscore Lotter L O T T E R, on social media. Uh, we're out there every single day fighting the good fight and uh, are counting down the days until we have a a new America First administration back in office. I, I often say, and I'm old enough to remember this, you know, we survived Carter to get to Reagan, so we can endure Joe Biden to get what's coming on the on the backside. Because maybe sometimes, especially with the liberals, they've got to be proven, you know, what you, this is what you voted for. And you got it. That doesn't work. Yeah. I want my money to back. Different? I want a refund. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Folks, Mark Lauder, uh, uh, chief communications officer at America First Policy Institute. And, of course, you can see him on TV. I see him on TV all the time on Chris Plant's show. And otherwise, uh, you're doing a terrific job. So keep up the good work. And thanks for being here tonight.
6: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet.
1: Now, straight ahead, we are going to continue our conversation on how road rage is uh, affecting Americans from coast to coast, in particular, those in law enforcement. Of course, you know, law enforcement is uh, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I've got two brothers, my brother, John Valdez, my brother, Albert Valdez, that are both retired from the NYPD. And um my brother, John, actually went into a second career after leaving the New York City police and uh, now is a Fed. So always tip my hats to those in law enforcement. And uh, we're going to talk about that straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. Of course, Open Phone America comes up at the top of the hour. That's 833 482 valdes That's the number. Give us a call. Looking forward to hearing from you. I'm Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. is road rage and the effects on the community and law enforcement. Uh, road rage is on the rise. And, of course, those in law enforcement have a concern because you have uh, two metro area road rage shootings just in a week, right? There was one uh, was last Monday in Aurora, which killed a 48-year-old man. The other happened uh, Saturday morning in Adams County. Uh, three other deadly incidents were reported this year alone. As of uh, last month, May, the or now two months ago, May, the Denver Police Department received 110 reports of road rage or aggressive driving. And uh, that's pretty um, interesting, to say the least, right? Because it's not something that you hear every day. It's not something you think about every day. <gasps> but it's definitely something that will scare the crap out of you if you get into a road rage incident on the road and somebody pulls out a gun on you or something like that. So that's definitely... Uh, Something that you want to, you know, be careful about. And our guest is going to bring us up to speed on what's going on with Road Rage. I want to bring in Janice Niederhofer. She's a retired law enforcement officer and board president and founder of the Humankind Alliance. Janice, welcome to the program.
9: Well, thank you for having me, Rich. I'm thrilled to be here to maybe help people navigate the roads better.
1: Yeah. Well, I I tell you, this is something that I I can tell you, I have, you know, I'm a New Yorker and I guess you're you're kind of brought up in, uh, into thinking, you know, road rage is normal, right? I I remember being a young driver and it's like, you you get into an accident, you you get out and fight, you know, somebody cuts you off, you get out and fight. That's just, and as you grow older, you realize that's not how people handle it everywhere else. But I think it's, it's spread from from New York or maybe large metropolitan cities to to becoming the norm in a lot of places. And it's obviously not a healthy practice and and it's something that, uh, you know, endangers the lives of of law enforcement officers as well. There's a story that my producer just sent me moments ago um, that a relatively recent story. Let me see here. Let me hit refresh to make sure I get in. It's a, it's a very unfortunate one. Uh, North Carolina trooper, was shot while assisting a stranded motorist. Now, this isn't road rage per se, but uh, this guy was sitting in his car, I guess, waiting for AAA or whatever, but gets into it with the cop, shoots the cop, the vest catches the bullet, and the cop is able to shoot him back, returning fire and, and takes him out. Uh, but it makes you think, wow, what is going on, Janice?
9: Mm, good question. So that last incident, unfortunate as it is, I don't think can fall under road rage. It's falls under a whole nother topic for a whole nother day to talk about, right? Which is the violence against cops and the violence with cops against civilians and trying to bring them together as one community. And it's a big, that's what my nonprofit does. So I'm not going to go down that pathway. We're sticking with road rage. And so I want to ask you something. I'm curious about something. May I?
1: Sure. Go right ahead.
9: You just mentioned a couple of shootings in the New York area, right, with road rage, yes?
1: Yeah, well, I think these were not in New York, uh, but I think in the uh, Colorado area.
9: Oh, I see. As I misheard you then. I thought the first two shootings were in New York, but nonetheless, you know how you said you used to get out and fight, and that was the way we do things? Do you still do those things in New York? Is that still considered the way to handle road I think people rage? still do
1: it. I just, I'm 45 now, and, and I don't do that anymore, <laughs> thank God. Uh, but it definitely was the norm.
9: All right. I was just curious if people are still up to no good that way, because things have changed. Just take the whole gun issue and how many guns are out there. Do you really want to approach somebody you have no idea who they are or what makes up their psychology and what mood they're in and what their, you know, what, what their thinking patterns are in that moment? Do you want to be a victim of their rage and revenge and frustration and anger. Now, nowadays, I don't care if you're yeah. in New York or Texas, mm-hmm. right? Like in Texas, you can beep your horn and, and people get mad at you. Cause that's just not graceful, right? Yeah, of course but not. New York people lean and live on their horns. Right. So they don't even hear them anymore. Right. It's different.
1: It's so true. But, and, and you know, I think most people experiencing these emotions aren't
9: really thinking
1: of what's on the other end, you know, and, and that's probably part of the problem. <laughs>
9: That's exactly right, which is a part of what we're going to talk about today. And we can talk about that right now and bounce back to some other things, but sure, you have to it. think before you thank you, sir. You have to think before you get in your car. Now, there's basically basically two types of people. And when you hear this, you probably think, "Oh wow, that could be true." There's people who live in anger all the time. They're just kind of mad, frustrated, depressed, whatever it is, all day long. That's their life. That's the filter, how they, they filter their life. So they're going to drag that into the car, put their butt in that piece of metal that weighs 2,500 to 6,000 pounds, give or take. And they're going to translate their emotions to the steering wheel, to their brake, and to their gas pedals, into the road. Okay? Yeah. And they just misbehave. They look for trouble. Okay. Then you've got others, like could be you and I, right? I know, we, we, I know I'm guilty of tapping on a horn and doing things like that. Sure. Is people who get in a car who don't think about their emotions, or they get in their car with their emotions, and you experience something before you get in a car, something that can be emotional, um, frustrating. Uh, You lose your patience. You think you have to hurry more and drive faster and save that whole 10 seconds getting to your location faster. Right. Um, And you drag your emotions into the car. Or think about this. You're in the car and you're texting. You receive a text. You get a call. You give a call. And that call gets you anything from laughing really loudly to being really mad and everything in between. It takes your attention off the wheel, takes your attention off the road. Then mistakes are made. Whether, you know, mistakes, we all make mistakes. Have you ever cut somebody off on on, on the road unintentionally? Both I know I have. Both intentionally
1: and unintentionally.
9: <laughs> there we go. I love honesty. Okay, you just scored some brownie points with me, Rich. That's awesome. <laughs> That's true, right? Yeah. And I feel so badly
1: when I do it by accident because it's like, oh, you didn't deserve that. You know?
9: Yes. Right. And there's ways that you can calm and disengage, right? Um, These situations. But when you get in a car, check yourself in, go, okay, what kind of mood I'm in? I'm not taking this out on the car. And if you're one of those that lose your temper quickly, lose your patience, you want to give somebody justice because they did you wrong on the highway you can't stand construction. You can't stand traffic. You don't like being late and you rush and you step on the gas, but you know, the thousands of things you can do in a car that you normally wouldn't do. And you don't think you about mean the
1: people that leave five minutes for a 15 minute ride.
9: <laughs> exactly. I know those yeah. I know them too, rich. <laughs> um, and so think about things you can consciously do. I know it sounds a, a bit woo, you know, kind of light, but You know, play music you like if you know, you know, you're in a bad mood or something went wrong or you're late. Play some nice, soft classical music. I'll roll around and find classical music quite often behind the wheel now. Or people love to put, you know, little smelly things in their vents so you can smell a nice lavender or something. But most of all, if you know you're really prone to anger, you've got to be really conscious about it. So take a picture of something you love OK, whether it's your dog, your family, your kid, your grandparents, whatever it may be, and put it right there where you would put your cell phone somewhere where you can see it. So you realize that when you make a choice on the road, that split second, uh oh, uh-oh, I shouldn't have done that, can turn into a major confrontation and you could get injured or worse, lose your life. It's not worth it.
1: Yeah, you sound like somebody who's really thinking things through. You know, I can tell you in in moments like that, I've never thought these things. But you you live and learn. And you realize it after the fact, when, you know, the uh, adrenaline goes away and you think, man, what was I thinking? You know, this could have really went left very quickly and and really uh, turned out to be a lot worse than it was. So I think what you're talking about of checking yourself in and and having that focal point, focusing on what matters, your children and your family and whatnot. Uh, These are all excellent uh, tips um, I want to remind mm-hmm. everybody who, who, that, who you are. Janice Niederhofer, retired law enforcement officer and uh, board president and founder of Humankind Alliance. When we come back, she's going to tell us a little bit more about her organization and the work that they do. So don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, and we're coming right back.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833 833- for Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S.
1: Is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Janice Neiderhofer. I think I mispronounced her name earlier. Forgive me for that. Uh, she's a retired law enforcement officer and the board president and founder of Humankind Alliance. They're an organization dedicated to restoring trust between law enforcement and uh, the communities in which they serve. And uh, Janice, tell us a little bit about some of the initiatives uh, that you guys uh, pursue at Humankind Alliance
9: hmm. Well, we know that we're all community members where whether you're wearing a badge or you're doing anything else in the world, we're one community in this nation, right? We're not separate. And we have become so us versus them, that that's got to be eliminated. So one way to do that is to rebuild, retool, and rejuvenate, uh, right? Law enforcement best practices, and teach them what's going on out there and educate them on how to manage the new waters, the new tides that are here, right? And we can't do what we used to. That's just not the way it's gonna happen. And the communities they serve, we wanna educate them on why we do our job the way we do. And we're gonna cross pollinate till we build trust between law enforcement and the communities they serve cutting edge training modalities that actually educate and inspire and in their, are live scenarios. It's not sitting in a metal chair and, you know, learning out of a book. It's much more than that. These things are live moving trainings. And for, we're going to integrate law, law enforcement communities, both into, into the training modality t- together. So that rich learns what I think and feel and see and hear, and I learn what you think, feel, see and hear, and then we understand um, what situation you're in, what situation I'm in. We come together as one community, as humans, as humankind, and we create solutions in real time, and we're off and running.
1: Wow, sounds like a lot of work. How, how do you uh, how do you approach it? How do you build these bridges?
9: <laughs> well, the bridges are easy.
1: All right, I think we're, are you there? I think we're losing you.
9: Oh, no, I'm here. Oh,
1: there you go, perfect. Can you hear me? Yeah, you were, uh, sounded like you were were at the bottom of a fish tank for a moment, but you're back. Okay, tell us about
9: those bridges. I was swimming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The The bridges, Rich, are easy to build, really. That's my forte. I trained for years at all levels of law enforcement, and I just, oh, I found so many different ways to really get to the men and women behind the badge and be able to empower them to be their best selves out there. And then I've trained a lot of community members in many different capacities, and I'm able to bring their best self out. And I've been able to bring them both together to change the psychological paradigm of both. And that's where we're gonna end up building trust. Is that full, you know, you hear that word transparency. Well, you know, all the blinds will be lifted on both sides and just imagine the difference we're going to make in this nation and help heal this nation because there won't be any territory in this country we won't have influence for people to be their best version of themselves do what they got to do in life do it better and unite together through law enforcement as a community member because law enforcement's community member too, to sure. reignite this nation and start moving in the right direction again. That's my forte.
1: And let everybody know if they want to know more about your mission and the work you're doing at humankind Alliance, where do they go?
9: They go to humankindalliance.org. And also what we're doing to, I can't sit back and watch people lose their life. That's what really inspires me is to serve at the highest level. And we've created a simple guide to help prevent these mass shootings. So if people want to see that and get their hands on it, mm-hmm. they can go to takethechallenge.info, takethechallenge.info, and they can download five easy steps. And what we can do as, as, as America is start helping law enforcement solve this epidemic because they can't do it all. They're overwhelmed. Right. And we see a lot of things. We have intuition we see, and we, we don't want to do anything about it. We don't want to get involved. And next thing you know, that person is out, you know, doing the wrong thing. Does that make sense, Rich?
1: Lots of sense. And let me just remind everybody, uh, it's take the challenge.info. If you want to learn more about that or humankindalliance.org Janice Neiderhofer, I want to thank you for being with us. I appreciate your insight. Keep up the great work and do me a favor, no more road rage incidents, all right?
9: (laughs) You got it. Likewise. (laughs) Thank you, Rich.
1: All right, Thanks for staying up late with us. I appreciate it. Folks, your calls and more straight ahead. Give us a call. 833-482-5337 833-4VALDEZ This
0: is America at Night with Rich Valdez Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. And I I just always want to thank you guys for being such an amazing audience. It's such a pleasure to be one of the uh, few in this time slot, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern, to do a live show, three hours, five days a week, a call-in show, an interview show. And uh, I get to speak with so many, you know, great experts and and just amazing callers from all over the place, Uh, one of which is calling us from Ohio. He's a regular here, Paul in Zanesville, WHIZ. Paul, what's up, my man? Welcome.
2: Hey, good evening, Rich. Hey, I'm doing fine. I just, you know, I kind of think that, um, you know, more people should uh, learn the rules of the road, just like in life, you know, when it comes to this um, yield to, uh, you know, when you have to yield to the right of way, you know. A lot of people don't understand that. That means when you're coming straight through, you have the right of way. When you're turning left, you don't have the right of way, you know. And there's so many wrecks caused by that where I live. But we have a four way, yeah. and people don't know. Yeah, that you, you know, if you're turning left, the person coming at you has the right of way. But I just think that the, with this road rage and everything, I see a lot of it here. Uh, I, I'm right off of a state route. uh, uh, here 60 in Zanesville, Ohio. And I see so much traffic problems and I see road rage all the time. You know, I work at a local store just up the street and, you know, uh, we have lanes shut down right now and people just don't, they don't, you know, just calm down, you know? um, So
1: it seems like there's New Yorkers there.
2: Oh, I'm telling you, look, (laughs) these people come in from small towns around us, all around us. You know, they live in these small towns. Zanesville, Ohio is growing. We're only 50 miles from Columbus. Uh, uh, We've got a chip plant coming in up here before long. That's going to create like three thousand jobs. So, you know, people just need to learn to calm down, in my opinion. And I really like that guest you just had there. And local law enforcement—they do a really good job here. I really do have to say so. And I would like to give them a thumbs up because they're—they're—they're they're, they're good people. I've—I've I've met them over the years. I was an electrician for thirty-five years. Um, now I'm in a semi-retirement job. And you know, I just—I just think that people need to calm down. You know, this uh, <coughs> thumb. Quit being so, you know, so uptight all the time. I don't know, Rich. What do you think?
1: You know, Paul, I wish I wish I I wish it was that easy. You know, I wish uh, I'm learning Uh, this lesson right now in my own life of trying to be a little less uptight. And, uh, you know, I I don't go into the city as often as as I used to, and I don't spend as much time there. But um, it it fascinates me when I'm there, especially uh, earlier in the day, not at night, but earlier when it's the hustle and bustle. Man, it's crazy out there. Paul, thanks for your call. Folks, Open Phone America starts right now. Give us a call. Get your calls in early because then you won't get on if you call late. It's Valdez and our number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Give us a call. We'll be right back. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number, 833 482 5337. If you want to join us on what I like to call America's Late Night National Town Hall Forum, please feel free. Pull up a chair around America's big kitchen table here. We can talk about the issues of the day and get all of your thoughts on it. And there's a lot, a lot in the news. And I'm trying to figure out which angles, you know, we can't talk about everything, but uh, you guys can bring whatever you want. But I I know I can't cover every topic because some of them require a degree of uh, analysis that may take longer than others. And, you know, sometimes I find myself putting too many topics out there and not really getting into the the, the meat of of each of them. So I'm trying to, you know, zone in on what I think is the the crux of of what matters to most of us and what's at stake. Uh, But every now and again, I see an article that just catches my eye, and I think, you know what? This is something that we can't um, ignore. And there's a woman named Natasha Cloud, and she called America trash in in a tweet that she put out. And now she's getting heat from all over the place, including uh, from NBA stars uh, like Ennis uh, Cantor Freedom, who uh, warned that... She wouldn't want to see the other side. Now, Ms. Cloud's tweet was in response, really, to the Supreme Court's decision that affirmative action was, in fact, discrimination. And it's not legal. It's unconstitutional. From last Thursday, saying, Our country is trash in so many ways, and instead of using our resources to make it better, we continue to oppress marginalized groups that we have targeted since the beginning of times. And, and you know, I, I read that, and honestly, I feel so badly, right? Sometimes I see stuff like that, and my initial reaction is, here's this person who's a professional athlete, likely making a, a good living. And again, anybody who's in this I I know life from multiple angles, right? So let me just back up and say, I didn't always get to talk on the radio to earn a living. This is a dream come true. Just like playing basketball is a dream come true for her. And I realize that not everybody gets to make a living off of their dream. So I consider myself blessed and fortunate. I realize that there are people out there that do really, really tough jobs that many of us would never want to do because that's how they make their living. And I respect that. And there's tons of people out there. Like when my parents were ill, the doctors and nurses, in particular nurses, uh, nurses, nurse technicians, nurse aides, these people do the Lord's work in my opinion. And most of us couldn't do it, don't have the patience, don't have the compassion. And I know I don't. I could barely do it for the people that I actually do love. Imagine doing it for complete strangers. Right. So I I look at life from multiple angles. And when I see someone like this, you know, it, it breaks my heart to hear those words. Our country is trash in so many ways, she says. Instead of using our resources to make it better, we continue to oppress marginalized groups that we have targeted since the beginning of times. Now, again, The reason I find this heartbreaking and not angering and blood boiling is because. (coughs) Principally, I support her right to say that. I, I, I don't want you to hate America, but you have every right to hate America. Right. That's just how this thing works. Just like I have every right to love America. But. I really feel that she's saying that not just because it's popular opinion amongst maybe some of her peers or where she studied and went to school or whatever circles she travels in, but because she probably truly believes that. She probably really believes that the country is trash in so many ways because instead of using our resources to make the country better, we, I guess collectively as America— continue to oppress marginalized groups that we have targeted since the beginning of times. I would hate to live life thinking like that. I would hate to live my life thinking that there are marginalized groups that are being targeted since the beginning of times. And I know there are. But I don't know that that's a mainstay in American culture. I just don't believe it to be true. And, and I use my own life as an example. My parents never owned a piece of property. They're not immigrants per se. They're born in the United States, in Puerto Rico, but American citizens came to New York. I was born in New York. Part of that first generation to go to college, gave college the middle finger, still was able to make it in life. And I look at that and I think, you know, I can't say that my dad helped me get a job or my mom helped me get a job. And, and they did, And you know, in early in my career. Like, my first job was at Dunkin' Donuts. My mom knew the manager. But, I mean, I, I didn't have any resources, per se, or, you know, my dad knows the guy. or I didn't have any of that. There was no generational wealth in my family. There was no generational um, history or contacts or anything like that. My dad came from Puerto Rico at ni- in 1955 when he was 18 years old. So, my point is, all sorts of people can make it in America, right? I mean, it's just you move from one state to another. You come from a, a, a tropical climate to, to, to the, the four seasons in New York. All sorts of things are, are alive and well for people in America. And there's lots of opportunity. And here's a woman that is making it by all accounts. I'm sure she's making, you know, $100,000, dollars $300,000 a year being a, um, a professional basketball player in the women's NBA, but yet she feels the country is trash. Now, again, she's entitled to that opinion, but the fact that she really believes, and I believe she really believes it, that there are continually oppressed, marginalized groups that have been targeted since the beginning of time. That to me is heartbreaking. Imagine living life through that lens, that, that, Somehow, somewhere there are people, I guess we're going to call them white people, uh, you know, being that that's still the majority in our country, that white people are somehow oppressing marginalized groups. Now, how are these groups marginalized? I don't know. I don't know which groups are we marginalized merely because we're minorities to say that blacks and Hispanics are somehow marginalized. How? You know, these are the questions that I would have. I just think it's such a loaded tweet. And of course, People take exception to that. And I'm one of those people. Look at me. I'm, I'm talking about this for 10 minutes already. Uh, I just, I'd love your thoughts on this. I know that so many of you love this country. And, and I don't say this to be provocative or to get you angry. But honestly, what is your reaction to somebody who's doing well in the women's NBA saying the country's trash because we're not using our resources to make it better? And, and again, this is a very um, a simple idea, right? It, it's a very... It's a very populist idea. You know, it's kind of like what so many people liked about Trump was that he was saying, you know, America's getting ripped off, that we can do better, we should take care of our own people, America first. That's, in effect, what she's saying here. She's saying this country's trash because we're not America first, because we're not using our resources to make this country better. To help, now this is where it gets tricky for me, these marginalized groups. Who are these people? Are these Native Americans that live on reservations that have been targeted? Uh, maybe I believe that. Maybe. And I don't think they've been targeted. But again, I'd buy that argument quicker than I'd buy that people that are brown like me are being marginalized and, and oppressed. So anyway, your thoughts on uh, Miss Natasha Cloud's tweet th- on the Fourth of July saying that America's trash. And I wasn't going to talk about this for that long, but I just really uh, had to get that off my chest because I think that that this is a uh, a big issue, of course. Uh, another part of the tweet uh, goes on to say black and brown communities and LGBTQ plus, man, we are too powerful to still be attacking issues separately. So she's calling for unity amongst minorities. And again, I don't think that's a, a bad thing either. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't use those particular minorities. Uh, but again, however you want to coalesce and, and and campaign for your your change, go for it. I just think, my goodness, to say that the country's trash. What what country's not trash then, right? That's the question I've got. Anyway, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Your calls and more are coming up right now.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833 833- 4 for Valdez, that's 833 482 5337. 833 4 Valdez, that's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
1: So we've got R&B singer uh, Jill Scott. She changed up the lyrics to the national anthem live on stage with some anti-American lyrics saying that blood built this land. Listen to this.
8: Whose blood built this
10: land <laughs>
5: With sweat and bare
8: hands
7: But you'll go
1: All right, that's Jill Scott, a R&B singer, again, changing up the words, saying, uh, you know, whose blood built this land? Uh, Going on to say, uh, oh, say can you see by the blood in these streets. Now, Jill Scott was um, blasted by many when she did this uh, just a couple of days ago on the second day of the Essence Festival because uh, this was her stance on the perceived systemic racism in America, according to this piece in Fox News, saying the country is not the land of the free. Then you had Ben and Jerry, we talked about this last night, saying that, you know, in order to celebrate the 4th of July, we should admit that America is built on stolen land. Now, these are popular tropes, if you will, from back in the days. And you guys know I'm a a fan of hip-hop music, and one of the early... um, artists coming out of the Bronx, KRS-One, Chris Parker. Uh, he had a lot of very conscious rap music. Uh, again, I didn't um, agree with the message, but he has a whole song about um, systemic racism and, and um, racism within the police. And, you know, he questions whether we can truly ever achieve justice on stolen land. It's a song called Whoop, Whoop, That's the Sound of the Police catchy song you know i definitely had it in my walkman back in the days listening to uh, cassette tapes of it um i appreciated the music for what it was again wasn't a message that i uh bought into but i feel like i'm mature enough and big enough to listen to a song that i don't necessarily appreciate but i like the tune it's a catchy tune and you know some may say no no, no don't put that in your mind I, I don't take it that far you know i mean I watch, I watch shows where people shoot the cops. I watch shows where people shoot the bad guys, and I don't go shooting bad guys or cops, right? Uh, it doesn't. Uh, entertainment is entertainment to me. But ultimately, Jill Scott, you know, she, she says this, and again, everybody has their right, right? This is her version of taking a knee. Do I find it offensive and disrespectful? I do. But is that the price that we pay to have freedom of speech? Yes, it is. Right, I mean, that's just the bottom line. I'm willing to be offended. I'm willing to be um, questioned and challenged in order for me to have the same right to do those same things. I know that the things that I say sometimes anger people. I don't do it to anger them. I do it because it's true. And I want to speak the truth. And I want to hear the truth from you guys as well. Uh, Let's go to Robert, Charleston, South Carolina, W T M A. Robert, what's your take on Jill Scott changing the national anthem? Um,
8: Well, uh, you know, I I always figure to myself that um, you should do things in the way in which you figure that they're most appropriate for the situation at hand for the people involved. In other words, all the people of the United States of America in this case. And you should do the ones that you figure everybody's going to be happy with. And there are plenty of situations where everybody can be happy. Sure, there's a dark side to everything, and there's a dark side to our past, too. I can't imagine sure. being owned by somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah, horrible. Yeah, because Absolutely you think horrible. that person could beat you in every way, shape, and form if he wanted to, and, and, and you could say nothing. And if he killed you, it would be like destroying a piece of his own property. You, would have, they wouldn't, even have a, you wouldn't even be called into court if you can imagine that. You know what I mean? Yeah, Horrific. Yeah, but on the other side, if you if you if you if you are brought up in um, in, in in New York City, where, where I come from originally, that area, or, or Miami, Fort Lauderdale, um, Washington D.C., I'm familiar with those places as well. Uh, and also in Germany, three three towns in Germany. Um, if you're, uh, there are people who love you, and those people will always look out for you. If you don't have a job or you have need something or something like that, or you need dual citizenship, they'll arrange that for you so fast it'll make your head spin. I one time needed dual citizenship with Germany. At least I thought I did, and and they arranged it overnight. The next day I had a certificate of German citizenship in my certificate of German citizenship in my hand, and they said your your, your Ausweis will be here in six weeks, and your passport will be here in twelve weeks.
1: Yeah, and I think the bottom line here is that just like there are people that hate you, there are people that can love you. And and you're right. Uh, plenty of of dark parts of our history and, and dark parts of our daily lives. I mean, there's still ugly things that happen. I don't know that we could ever live in a society that's devoid of crime and bad people because evil's always going to exist. And, and our job is to just try to get away from it as much as we can, right? Teach our children and those around us to and the way we live our own lives to, to be more positive and, and, you know, strive for better each and every day. But ultimately, I I feel like you, you, you your first comment was really spot on. You have to try to deliver things in, in the most uh, receptive way, I guess, based on the audience. And I don't mean tickling their ears and being a people pleaser and telling them what they want to hear. But I mean, using the opportunity to sing or say something or do whatever it is you do to impact that audience in a positive way. And I don't know. I mean, the crowd seemed to really be receptive at that audience at the Essence Festival. Uh, They seemed very happy to hear, you know, whose blood built this land and whatnot. And and they were clapping and cheering. And and it's because I feel like they're also part of that grievance industry where they feel that they're systemically marginalized and oppressed. And 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 this to me is unfortunate. And I understand that things happen. I understand that there are people that are treated differently. I just uh, and maybe I'll never really be able to realize it because I, I didn't grow up in a a predominantly black neighborhood. I, I didn't grow up with so many of the challenges that that young uh, black men face in today's world. I, I didn't. You know, my dad was with me till he was 80 years old just a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't know life without a dad. I know that's a huge problem in in, in um, the African-American community. So, you know, I can only give my opinion based on what I know. And what I know is America's not trash and it's not that bad. And we already know who's blood built this land. So kudos to them for sharing, you know, their thoughts. And I'm going to keep sharing mine. And we're going to get to your calls, too. Thank you, Robert, for your thoughts. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Your calls coming up straight ahead. America, welcome back. We continue with your calls. And, of course, we're talking about um, the woman in the WNBA who said America was trash. We were also talking about all the stories earlier in the evening. Uh, Of course, cocaine in the White House, right? It's it's a new definition for the White House. Unbelievable what we're going through today and and the things that we're seeing. And um, I want to go to Ken, Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Ken, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
10: Good evening, Rich, and this is a belated uh, happy birthday to our country and all the servicemen and women that fought and sacrificed for our freedoms. Thank you very much.
1: Amen to that.
10: Uh, uh, I don't know anything about this woman you're talking about, this singer or this WNBA player, but I do know one thing. Uh, If the NBA wasn't subsidizing the WNBA, they'd all be working at Kroger or Taco Bell. So. (laughs)
1: Right, right. Yeah, they don't bring in plenty not, of money. That's for sure.
10: And there's nothing wrong with them, Jobs. I'm not demeaning anybody by sure, saying yeah. that. But they sure, yeah. I didn't take it that be, way. They would.
1: Yeah, they would they be regular be people like the rest of us.
10: Exactly, Rich, exactly.
1: No, Yeah, no, I, I, I wanna, totally agree uh, with
10: you. I want to uh, commend our, our law enforcement agencies of the federal government, the Homeland Security, the FBI, the... Department of Justice, let's see, Uh one day after 9-11, they had pictures and names of all the people involved. Uh, one day after the Boston Marathon bombing, they had the two suspects and their names. But four or five days of finding cocaine in the White House, and I'll bet my bottom dollar every square inch of that building has a camera on it, and they can't figure out how that doggone cocaine got there.
1: You know, Ken, that's interesting. Uh, We had a couple of conversations about that earlier tonight. And I'm pretty sure one of the the, I spoke with two people that worked in the White House earlier today. And one of them said, you know, they likely will find out the person, but it'll likely be the administration that chooses not to release a name for whatever reason, whether it's a staffer that they don't want to embarrass or whatever. I could tell you if I was a president and somebody did this to me. Uh, I would take it as an affront to me and to my office and to my presidency, and I would embarrass the crap out of them. <clears throat> just saying. I would make sure they, they get whatever's coming to them. <clears throat> because you don't do that. You know, you just don't do that, right? I, I don't think that's accurate. So I, I think that they're definitely going to figure out who it was and how it got there. The question is, will they tell us? I don't know. Still waiting for that, that unredacted JFK shooting report. Good luck with that, right, Ken?
10: Yes, sir. Rich, you have a great weekend.
1: Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. You too. Godspeed to you. And uh, we will continue here. Let's go to Kim Shields, Michigan, KDKA. Kim, go right ahead.
7: Hi, Rich. Boy, I agree with what Ken from Lansing just said um, about, the, about those two women and the basketball player and uh, um, that Jill Scott, I yeah. can sing better than her and, <laughs> and nobody would play to, for to come listen to me sing. And then she slaughters the song talking about blood, in the streets. I hate to say it, but the blood in the streets is all in the big cities, the Chicago's, the New York. Um, and it's black. It's generally black on black crime, you know? So, for them to massacre our, uh, what she did to our national anthem and the female basketball player, it's just disgusting. I think, like with Ilhan Omar and, uh, the other one, Rashida Tlaib and all these other, uh, and, and I think they should get a, uh, taxpayer paid vacation to Somalia. You know, or uh, someplace like that, Venezuela, and let them see where it's really bad. you know people yeah. Well, I you know, know, Ilhan Omar
1: is, is not far from Somalia, from Ethiopia, right? I believe she's from Ethiopia. and <coughs> excuse me, and I, I think um, she, she knows what life was like there and chose the United States. and, and it's, it's that part of um, life that really does confound me, where I think, man, very interesting how you could have experienced life elsewhere and still come here and say something like some people did something. And again, I understand this is a different language, a different country, a different culture. Um, but I, I always think you give people the benefit of the doubt, right? Which means, Hey, you know, that was not a good look. And after people tell you that wasn't a good look, it's up to you to, to say, um, you know what? I, I made a mistake. And, uh, yeah, it was not Ethiopia. She is from Somalia, um, Ilhan Omar. So, you know, it, it just it always just blows me away that that's the case, that they do know better and still choose that hard uh, left anti-American approach. Uh, Kim, I don't understand. I really I mean, the only explanation I have is it's part of what they believe and the same way. It's part of what I believe to think that America is great. I believe in American exceptionalism. I believe that America is not perfect, but likely uh, the the best country on this planet now in the future and has been in the past and i can only say likely because I don't know what what the future holds for us and if it we continue with the biden trajectory then we're 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 doomed but um if we can bounce back i think america has plenty of good years left in her and and i guess the same way I can be pro america and love my country and think that it's a great place and choose to uh, live here and raise my children here and all of that and not flee to some other place I guess they have a right to want to bring about their change and their revolution and their alternative ideology uh, and it all goes to the court of public opinion and we let the people decide in the uh, you know whose ideas are better in that free marketplace of ideas and you know sometimes it just it concerns me I feel like we're losing that battle and they're winning I don't know if I'm right or wrong on that Kim
7: yeah, um, just a few simple things that these America haters don't think about. I, I read something in National Geographic a, a long time ago that something like seventy percent of the world doesn't have toilet paper, and a huge percent of the world has no electricity. At night, when you when the satellites see Earth from outer, you know, from the outer areas there. Um, most of the earth is dark cause they don't have, they don't have running water. They don't have electricity. I mean, the things that we have are so wonderful. And like I say, um, these, these America haters need to leave and spend a month in, in a third world country, you know, where they grab a leaf when yeah. they go to the outhouse. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> I totally get it, Kim. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, Kim and Shields, Michigan listening online. Always a pleasure to chat with you. And, yes, grab a leaf if you've got to go. <laughs> That's classic. Love it. We're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. We've got calls from Chicago and all over the rest of the country. We're coming to you, 833-4VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This
0: is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833 482 5337-833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Three three four eight two five three three seven eight three three four Valdes. That's Valdez
7: with an S.
1: All right, America, welcome back. We continue open phone, America, discussing all the topics of the day, whether it's uh, the cocaine in the White House. The road rage stuff that we had a conversation about, of course, the Biden administration's attack on American energy and so much more that we've discussed this evening. Let's go to Chicago WGN. Check in with Diane. Hey, Diane, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome.
4: Hi, Rich. <clears throat> the problem is it's 11 o'clock, 1130 here, and I'm not able to listen to you until 1 a.m. You come oh, on yes, at we're one on the way actually, there. It's three, right, right, right. So I'm not I'm not able to jump in and call. Um, well, except at this time, that's but fine. I, but
1: you, you always have I? some very poignant comments. Go right ahead. What's on your mind?
4: Well, so many things. Well, the, let's see. There's a sensibility of that when you say about the insidiousness of the left wing the permeated, which has now created what we have now. That sort of began in the '60s, um, yeah, with um, the the emphasis, you know, going toward the media and getting the PR going. I really do believe there is vote fraud. I think they've perfected it. When you look at the 1960 Kennedy, um, Nixon. Oh, yeah. And then locally, locally, politics is very important for a machine. Machine politicians do the local thing. And so that's sort of a tradition in Chicago. This is such a good
1: point, Diane, that you bring up. And you being from Chicago, you get this, right? Uh, Because they have machines in in Chicago and they have in Jersey, right? Um, uh, We had... um, Frank Haig was the um, one of the machine bosses back in the days, and 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 this has been through for for a long time in New Jersey politics, Hudson County in particular, Essex County, two very very large populated counties, and it's always been commonplace. I mean, we've been joking about dead people voting since I was in high school, and everybody knew it was a big open secret. So you know the the fact that they ridiculed Giuliani and 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 made Trump out to be a lunatic uh, when when they said these things, I thought that's laughable. I've been watching this happen my entire life, Diane.
4: Right, uh huh. And it's um it's not just it's gotten like it, the politicians of the past, like Everett Dirksen, Rustin and all of and Lyndon Johnson, even. Um, it, it's just we didn't have the media we do now. But it wasn't so much that you had to because these people took these jobs as politicians and that's what they were good at. And I always say that it's not like we won't need to know how sausage is made every minute of the day. We don't need it in our face all, all day right. long. We sort of trust some of these people to kind of do their thing and get along and get things done. But that money and PR has grown so much and, and – It's hard to describe. I don't don't really... No, I think you're on the right track here. You're right.
1: Uh, When when it comes to the public relations effort that people have, there are entire... I mean, you just look at Twitter, right, Um, or or any of these social media platforms. They now give you the ability to create your own broadcast channel. And that might be something I may want to do one day. Uh, I may want to just broadcast um, a video of myself maybe doing the show or doing something similar, something different where I don't even talk about politics at all. Maybe just... You know, go to different cities once a week and, and learn about each city. I think that would be fun and be cool for a video type of um, program. But, but the point I'm bringing up is uh, we have so many ways to connect to people that uh, when I go on Instagram, I see these notifications that say so-and-so who you follow now has a broadcast channel available. And people, you know, um, I think it was, was it Halle Berry. I think Halle Berry started this um, entire, oh, no, I'm sorry, Jada Pinkett uh she had started a a a Facebook live program that became like a real full-fledged TV show. Uh it's bigger than a TV show and it's again it's a Facebook live program. So the the ability to use uh public relations and social media to to just connect with people in a different way is way advanced from anywhere I think many of us thought it ever would be. So I think that's a that's a brilliant point that that's why we are where we are, right? We we have uh, uh there's less of a gap in getting our ideas to the people.
4: See, and it's been used by the divisive forces of, if you want to say world socialism, which was called communism. And that was when TV, when it was in its babyhood, and I have a whole theory on McCarthy, McCarthy lost to the La Follette, the Republican the very well-respected Bob Lafollette in Wisconsin, when he came back from the, the war, so of course he used politics because he was called Tail Gunner Joe, and of course he could use the drumbeat of he was, and he used the thing that he said Lafollette didn't contribute to the war. But anyway, the communists backed him. Did you know that? And he didn't. He was unaware of that, and he was somebody trying wow. to look at communism, but communism turned it around like a serpent and used it, in my view against him because they knew TV was in its babyhood and how bad he would look on TV. Okay. yeah, because, And of
1: course there um, was a big communist movement to, to influence the, the programming that was coming out of Hollywood uh, and which prompted, um, you know, patriots like Ronald Reagan to, to become a screen actors guild president to try to curtail some of that movement. And yeah, it was an interesting time in American history and excellent point. Thank you so much, uh, Diane from Chicago on WGN. Your calls and more coming straight ahead before we wrap this thing up. Check out our website, by the way, richvaldesamericaatnight.com If you want to listen to any of the guests you may have missed, any of our archived episodes. And you can also click the link and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and you get an alert. It's absolutely free. Rich Valdez with an S americaatnight.com rich valdez americaatnight.com don't move a muscle
0: this is america at night with rich valdez call now 833-4 valdez that's 833-482-5337 833-4 valdez that's valdez with an s
1: Let's continue as we uh, wrap up tonight's America at Night discussion with um, a couple of callers. we got somebody from Illinois calling in. we got somebody from Atlanta. Let's go with Todd in Atlanta very quickly. Go right ahead.
2: Yes, uh, Rich. I just wanted to say about the uh, controversy with the anthem. And I don't think it was Colin Kaepernick that started the kneeling controversy. I think it was Tim Tebow because he knelt for the wrong thing, God and country. Right. And thank you for
6: mentioning in his
2: freedom. Uh, that guy was great. They traded him as fast as they could out of the NBA because he's the only one who stood up to the oppression of the Communist Party. And all these players and owners and corporations make billions in blood money from the Communist Chinese Party. And he's the only one that stood up to him. And thank you for mentioning him.
1: Oh, you bet, Todd. And, you know, yeah, you're right. He's a patriot. The guy knows uh, he knows um, what's going on because he's been in other parts of the world, and and he knows it firsthand. And, uh, you know, I mean, this is, when your name is freedom, I guess you kind of have to, right? It goes with the territory. But uh, great comment. Big shout-out to everybody listening on WGKA in the Atlanta area. Thank you, Todd. And um, let's go. Clinton, Illinois, WSOY. Is that real? WSOY? That's funny. I haven't heard that one before. Uh, Welcome. Andrew, go right ahead.
5: Hey, Mr. Valdez. I appreciate all the work you do. I recently you. picked your uh, show up uh, about six months ago or so when you took over, and I think you do great stuff. I, I'm a, I've been a longtime restaurant manager, and I, so I work with a lot of Hispanics. I picked up some Spanish over the years, basically self taught. But yeah. I, I heard of several months ago when you referred to our president, uh, Mr. Biden, as El baboso. I, I didn't really know what it meant, so I had to <laughs> ask uh, a couple of my a couple of my cooks the next day at work, and they just laughed. <laughs> and eventually they told me what it meant. And it's not something we can say on the air necessarily, but I think uh, it's an exact description of, of uh, unfortunately, of our president currently. Yeah,
1: lamentably, right. Joe Ed Baboso Biden, he is, uh, he is a baboso for sure. And um, let me ask you what, what are you, what are your thoughts about this Jill Scott controversy with the blood in the streets or, or even Miss um, Cloud from the WNBA saying that America's trash?
5: Well, I didn't hear much about the WNBA player, but I think that's that's beyond regrettable for someone like that to say, especially considering the the Brittany Griner situation. But I did also hear a little bit about the the Jill Scott, and I heard something about her wanting to move to the Netherlands. Or I I don't know. It's just you know I'm
1: willing to to put a couple of bucks up and make a bet if that's allowed and if it's legal, I'll do it uh, to see if she actually goes or not. And I don't mean on a vacation, but I mean an actual go move there. Nobody's doing that. People are reluctant to move from the state that they live in because, oh, I don't know, I went to school here, my friends are here, my family's here. Imagine because of your politics or because of a social issue moving to another country. I don't think so. Andrew from Clinton, Illinois, W-S-O-Y. Thank you, my brother. Great to hear from you. Big shout out to everybody in Chicago area, uh, or Clinton area, rather. And uh, folks, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless Keep it locked right here on this station. There's amazing programming following this show. And we're back again tomorrow at 10 p.m. Eastern time, straight till 1 o'clock. I'll be keeping you company all night long. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez.